many months of May. I said it's a merry month of May. You know what that means? It's Alf trumpet time. This is Big Green. No, it isn't. Yes, here we are for the May episode of This is Big Green. Welcome. Welcome to another episode featuring Ned Trek. What number is it again? Oh, Jesus, I don't know. It's called Captain Fricassee. Captain Fricassee. You can't miss it. Another couple of new songs. Well, <laughs> new old songs. We'll throw something in there. I'm not sure what. Maybe a bag of wooden balls. Anybody see my kazoo? Matt will play his big trumpet. Hopefully not through the entire episode. Plenty of laughs. I, I might have jokes. Stay tuned. A riveting episode. Riveting, 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 riveting. This is Lee Majors. Last week on Ned Trek, the crew of the Free Enterprise found themselves on an amazing alien world. One rich with valuable minerals and space gold. During a pit stop, Captain Romney got knocked unconscious. When he came to, his memory was gone. But then some Stone Age folks hailed him as the economic high priest of their tribe. Meanwhile, Ned took the Free Enterprise out of orbit and tried to stop a Halliburton mining ship from tearing apart the planet that Romney was lost on. Who bought there were some close calls, and even a few regular characters were dead as tombstones for a while. If you missed it, or if it didn't make sense to you, you still have time to go back and hear it again. That's what I'm going to do, but not right now, because it's time for an all-new episode. On tap right now, stay tuned! Space. The ultimate marketplace. These are the voyages of the starship Free Enterprise. Its mission of undetermined length, um, until we're canceled, I guess, to seek out strange new commodities, exploitable alien workforces, to brazenly amass the largest profits that any corporation has before. Say, so here you are, Captain Sir, taking a foot massage in your suite of cabins. What a civilized idea that is. Maybe you can see fit to send your boys over to sickbay sometime and task them with working some of their colored magic on these postulated corns of mine. 
The travails of being the only bipedal doctor on a cruiser-class starship cannot be exaggerated. <laughs> yeah, it seems like nobody wants to be seen by any of the new 12-legged mucolon doctors that I brought on board last week. You know, to replace the old guard of space sawbones. Too bad. They came real cheap. I'm just glad that I've got all of them working on a commission basis. Haven't had to pay them one purple credit. <laughs> Excuse me, Doc. Blimchin Minor? Pay special attention to the toe that went to market. <laughs> Blimchin Major? You can concentrate more on helping that little piggy that had roast beef. And then just leave the one that had none to take responsibility for himself. As it should be. Captain, this is Lieutenant Zulu on the bridge. You wanted to be informed when we reached planet Cracker Fry 9. We've just entered into orbit, sir. <laughs> Thank you, Lieutenant. Hey, you know, Doc, I like this arrangement. Mr. Sulu can just continue to relay to me all the plot developments in the episode while I stay here in my suite of cabins. Here I can be free to come up with some great ideas and make the big decisions that affect the lives of all my servants, like the Blimchins over here. I say, but Captain, once you hear the details of why we diverted to Cracker Fry 9, I think that you will reconsider your idleness and decide to assume a more proactive role in this here common adventure. What's the caper, Doc Coburn? Well, you see, sir, Cracker Fry was originally settled back about 75 years ago by a group of God-sharing evangelical types. They did their best to convert and or kill the savage heathens that lived there. And then they set out to exploit the planet's valuable resources, all in ways that God intended. Pretty much the same thing that the four preachers did back on Earth so long ago. Willard, this is Ned breaking in. Sorry to interrupt an erroneous space history lesson by an idiot doctor, but what exactly are we doing here? There's virtually nothing of value on this world. It's been mined out, sucked dry, pumped up with every imaginable toxin. There's no people and precious few animals there. It's also subject to a runaway greenhouse effect, and its oceans are as acidic as Blofarian vinegar. I say, I dispute that dark characterization of that most godly world of our Lord. There's no such thing as a greenhouse effect down there, and most certainly not one caused by the righteous carbon burning of God-sanctioned industry. It's just some consecutive days of unseasonably hot weather. That's all. And the good people, those God-abiding crackertons, will be back from vacation any time now. You just mark my word. I wouldn't touch your words with an atomic toilet plunger. Face it, these morons that you have such reverence for transformed a Class M planet into a Class R planet. R for wrecked. All by polluting the crap out of it in a craven play for petrochemical cash. Did you say that they were Mormons? <laughs> Our people surprised even me sometimes with their go-getter attitudes and can-do spirits. Think of that. Mormons in space. <laughs> da, 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 da. Did you say that you had a can of spirits in here? Give it to me. I'll put it in a safe place. I'm building a reservoir. <laughs> Why, Mr. Nixon, what are you doing there beneath my god-sized bed? I say, after he was pried out of the Halliburton mining ships, Ion Collector, after our last amazing episode, he hasn't been functioning properly. Even so, we didn't want him to feel the shame of collecting charity, 
So instead of footing the bill for expensive repairs, we thought it best to employ him as the ship's vacuum cleaner. It was actually on his resume. Somebody said, That was all a misunderstanding. I just said that I could rumba. Not that I was a rumba. I can do the Charleston too. Just you watch. Charleston, Charleston. <laughs> you go ahead, sir. That might be just the way to get those dust bunnies out of there. Hey, this is Lieutenant Commander Pearl cutting in here. Oh, great. I like it better when you cut out, Pearl. I've taken it upon myself to read the script and familiarize myself with our mission for this episode. It seems that we're here at Planet Cracker Fry 9 in order to retrieve some drilling equipment and a bunch of cases of Bibles. It would appear that the Crackertons require these things on the new world that the Confederation just found for them in the Rumpeltoid system. We were volunteered to ferry this stuff over by Rear Admiral McConnell, who maintained that our crew was best suited for a mission fraught with deadly hazards as this one is. Wow, he really has faith in us. What do you think about that? <laughs> well, we do have the best suits in the fleet. <laughs> they are most colorful. Mine is sour apple green. You fool, Pearl. This is no honor. He's still trying to get back at us for what happened on Palaminius 12. We got him busted down to Rear Admiral. And apparently for him, revenge is a dish best served hot. Hot like toxic magma. <laughs> well, that's a shame about his busted rear. <laughs> I think I've got some of my Mormon butt epoxy on board. He's more than welcome to use some, just as long as he thoroughly washes off the applicator. Anyhow, it sounds like we'll need to put together a landing party. A group of courageous and old-fashioned manly men that can go down to the planet and find all that stuff that Mr. Pearl was talking about. Does that sound like a plan, Mr. Ned? I suppose so, Willard. <sighs> Pearl... Go rustle up a couple of red-shirted flunkies and get yourselves down there right away. You heard the captain. Double time! But Ned, Starfleet's command specifically implied that we should only use expendable officers to carry out this deadly mission. I mean, the surface of that planet is literally like a frying pan. I mean, eggs would be cooked immediately if we beamed them down there. Then if somebody didn't come and eat them in a hurry, they'd, they'd burn and they'd be fit only for an enlisted man's breakfast. Let me amend that order. Go have your last breakfast first, and then get your useless chicken hog ass down to that hell pit, Mr. Expendable. Say no more. I'll lead this away mission myself. As I've always said, I'm about the most dependable member of my crew. I'll take Mr. Stephanie G with me. He can bring his saxophone. And let's see. Hmm. Someone else with a sprightly and gay attitude. How about Mr. Sulu? Security keeps informing me that he's completely gay all the time. <laughs> Mr. Ned, have them all assembled in the transporter room at zero four thousand hours. That is, if assembly is required. <laughs> um, sir, there's no such time as zero four thousand hours. Oh, good. Well, then I don't need a new wristwatch after all. <laughs> I guess just meet me down there in about 15 minutes. I have to first find my afternoon strolling pants and my Rolex. Ned, do you think we should tell him that that this is a, 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 a death mission? What do you think? Besides, that's probably the only kind of mission that Willard's truly qualified to carry out. I could actually hear you guys, you know. 
Hey, you know, this place isn't so bad. Stephanie G., never mind the saxophone. Did you bring my golf clubs? I think we just may be in time to enter what appears to be a tournament. I think that must be Jack Nicholson standing over there. <laughs> yes, it's confirmed. He's waving back at me. <laughs> Jack, he also appears to be urinating into the pro shop. <laughs> Those golf pros. Captain, excuse me, sir, but I think you're just looking at a barrage. The heat waves coming off the parched desert flats are pretty intense. So that's the mirage. You know, Bane almost acquired that casino. I think that it has the biggest golf course in the galaxy. It must. Just look at the size of that sand trap. Captain, it's 115 degrees down here. The atmosphere is thick with sulfides. We won't last more than a few minutes. I recommend that we find the drilling equipment as quickly as possible. And then get out of here. <laughs> Don't forget the Bibles. <laughs> we can't leave without recovering the carefully transcribed words of God. Take it from me. He gets awfully sore when you misplace his handiwork. I think that's why my chosen people drew Utah. <laughs> Captain, I found something. Piotr, ah! are you all right? Looks like he's hurt pretty bad, sir. I think that we'll need to get him up to sick bay and suit. Oh, wait a minute. Dr. Colbert is on duty, isn't he? Maybe it doesn't matter so much then. <laughs> well, look at that. He found the crate of Bibles. He fractured his head right on top of those blessed things. Captain, the crate says that those Bibles are packed in flame-resistant Krakenite. We can't beam those up to the ship. Krakenite is an unstable element. It would wreak havoc with the transporter circuits. We may have to use a shuttlecraft to get it on board, sir. <laughs> Don't worry, Mr. Silo. Of all things holy, the words of Almighty God are the safest traveling companions a man can have, and surely the most stabilizing thing in creation, with the possible exception of certain precious gems. I'll beam back with this holy load myself. You and Mr. Stephanie continue the search for the drilling equipment. Just give us the signal when you're ready to beam them back up to the ship. Sir, but Mr. Stephanie is in no condition to search for anything. He's going to need immediate medical attention just to stay alive. Then make sure he stays at attention. <laughs> you might try a regimen of military calisthenics, or you can subject him to frequent inspections. That'll keep him on his toes. Or perhaps you can use this little alien dog to keep him awake. <laughs> Stephanie can be tasked with keeping its ridiculous prosthetic horn and plastic antenna from falling off. I know that our makeup people couldn't manage that. Anyhow, good luck with that and with the mission, Lieutenant. <laughs> um, thanks, sir. Sweet Jesus. Yes, Jesus increasingly appears to be the reason for the season of the show. Romney to Free Enterprise. Mr. Sulu, is that you? No, sir. I'm not on the ship. Unfortunately, I'm standing behind you, here on this molten planet, baking along with a critically wounded stunt double. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> you know, that reminds me. We should beam down some strips of bacon for the officer's brunch meal. You wouldn't mind turning them over once in a while. Of course you wouldn't. Romney to Free Enterprise. Willer, what? Are you still alive? I most certainly am. And I'm ready to beam back onto the ship. Also, please beam up this two-ton crate of Bibles, as well as the weird unstable elements used to pack them. I heard that, Captain. Prepare for transit.
What's this thing acting finicky about this time? I've never heard it make that sound effect before. Captain, are you okay? I'm not sure what the matter is with the transporter. We just barely got you on board. <laughs> uh, no, I'm I'm fine, Mr. Welsh. <laughs> it's Mr. Stephanie that I'm concerned about. <laughs> you know, it seems like he should be allowed to qualify for <coughs> some kind of health care. <laughs> Perhaps the whole crew should be eligible for some kind of, I don't know, mandated plan which funnels them all into the compassionate hands of private insurance companies? Captain, you don't sound well. Let me help you down to sickbay so one of the twelve-legged mucolid doctors can crawl all over you and determine what's wrong. If it's all the same, I prefer using Dr. Colbert. <laughs> he doesn't employ nearly as much purple mucus in his diagnostic procedures. Oh, and Welsh, don't leave the transporter room unattended. Although on second thought, you better or else I fear the show will be cut drastically short this week. I have been so blind, so blind, being captain of this here free enterprise could open me up to some exhilarating possibilities, and some that I venture to say will swell my own personal fortune and that of my most exalted clan. But first, I need sustenance in order to revitalize my inner man. I do declare I will mosey on over to sickbay, which as luck would have it, is the set that lies catacorner to this one. Cheesy grits! I say, well there you are, Captain Sir. Why up top they were all convinced that we'd never see you again in this mortal sphere. I'm proud to say that I was the one tapped to scratch out a few words of remembrance for a little service to be held in the editing tube. All in your honor, I might add. I guess the planners weren't expecting much of a crowd. I declare. Just give me those cheesy grits. <laughs> I say, sir, this isn't the mess hall, you know. Though I admit it could use some tidying. Here, I'll get the food synthesizer to play a little Dixie while one of my nimble technicians gets the griddle going. Orderly blow blow. Boy, prepare the captain a double order of double cheesy grits. And I mean now, on the double. And let your grease hand do some generous pouring. I must say, Captain, I find your most recent tyrannical cravings to be the most refreshing turn of events. Out of my way, I've got some serious mastications to instigate, and I reckon that I would prefer for that to take place out in the corridor. I won't say goodbye. I say, I never realized what a powerful and decisive piece of Christian manhood our Captain is. 
Captain! Oh, hi there, sir. I thought that you'd be dead by now. Instead, you seem to be very much alive and eating unhealthy fried foods. There's some irony for you. Ah! I was actually just trying to get my dress uniform on. I was chosen to represent the bridge crew at your funeral service, which is being held in the Eddington tube. There will be standing room only, I was told. Address? You have the audacity to tell me to my face that you're about to assume the very attire of a sexual deviant aboard my ship? My ship? No, sir. I mean, this is a man dress that we're talking about. One that is approved by and is, in fact, issued by God-waving misogynists at Starfleet's command. You must have one, too, sir. Why, of course you do. Excuse me, sir, but are those cheesy grits that you're eating? Why, yes. And don't tell me that you want some. There was only enough prepared for me. No, it's not that. I just always thought that you were pretending to enjoy that kind of food in order to dupe horrible southern ignoramuses into thinking that you were one of them so that they'd vote for you. They'd be made to believe that you shared their taste in battered deep-fried cardboard, and so, ergo, you also shared their homophobic, gun-clutching, god-touting belief system. It's a classic electoral foolie. Let's stop pretending, Mr. Pearl. Let's stop pretending. Hey, you actually swallowed that time. You really are eating that stuff. You've been on board this better anti-better pimple of a ship for how long now? A year? A year and one half? And where has it gotten you, Pearl? How many wars has it let you instigate? How close are you to getting a solid gold glistening and gleaming golden planet named after y'all? Well, if I could be allowed to answer that last question first, a little bit closer, I now have enough gold to make a 750-pound asteroid. And from what I understand about astrophysics, if my gold asteroid impacts against, say, an Earth-sized planet, it could cause some considerable damage, enough so that I could use it to make credible threats and perhaps elicit payments in the form of bribes and protection money. It's a proven way to amass even more gold. What are these? Seems to be some plans here about lying up on spread out on your desk here. I would have to see that these here draft proposals for a war against the Zimtide Alliance seem plenty feasible. And furthermore, I'd have to say that it is elegant in its simplicity. Do you reckon so, sir? Or, I mean, do you really think so? I, I had almost given up on that sweet idea of mine. The Confederation had no stomach for it. They thought they'd lose too many ships. But, I mean, you can't make golden omelets without breaking a few million cantaloupes. And anyhow, nobody reaping the rewards are going to be on board any of those battleships when they blow, so who cares? My advice for you is to keep those plans in the air. I predict that we here are going to be doing a spell of instigating some money-making. And I'm talking real soon, boy, do you hear me? Oh my goodness, I hear you loud and clear, Captain, sir. Wow, did you ever wake up on the right side of the space bed this morning? I never to always be on the right side of whatsoever side there is. Oh, Captain, you've got some crud stuck on the side of your, um, face. It's probably some aerosol cheese from those grits things. Oh, well, I don't think he heard me. <laughs> Captain, see here this poor wee little doggy with a prosthetic horn and what looks like antenna glued onto his head. We successfully beamed him up from the planet's surface... But then a few minutes later, this other creature appeared on the transporter platform. Well, I say, 
That's one smart-looking smell, huh? Maybe they've got some kind of promotional thing going on down there on that planet. For every animal specimen sold and beamed up, you get yourself a free hound dog. Captain, we daren't beam up Mr. Sulu and Stephanie. Not without risking getting a couple more hound dogs like this one. Those men will just have to tough it out down there until we could figure this thing out. Or at least until we rig up some kind of kennel. In the meantime, what should we do with this animal? <laughs> That's funny. I can't seem to make up my mind what to do. I'm sure not very decisive just lately. You could, um, send him back to Planet Cracker Fry. Hey, maybe there's a boy stuck in a well down there. I see. The temperature down there is hot enough to broil a country ham. I think it would make poor use out of a serviceable smell hound. I mean, we could always put him in a uniform and then use him to track down runaway riding slave dudes. Of course, of course. I know. Just tie him up on the roof, Mr. Welsh. You know, I'm not sure why I forgot about that inhumane option. It's almost as if I'm losing the ability to command. Oh, well, I think I'll go have some kale or some creme cheese. See you men on the brudge. I, or, I mean the bridge. You know, I'm not sure why I mispronounced that right now. <laughs> Captain Willard, I just received a bizarre report about you from the doctor. He said that you barged into sick bay and acted like a complete troglodyte, demanding a super large order of cheesy grits and even manhandling the doctor's person. Apparently, he was highly impressed with your forcefulness and newfound manitude. His words, of course. Well, that's funny. <laughs> I don't remember that happening. And I don't think that I really like cheesy grits. That is, when I'm not running for anything. You know, I just saw the doctor in the last scene. He didn't say anything to me regarding my antisocial pro-family behavior. It's probably just the editing. I think the transporter room scene with those stupid dogs was originally supposed to be cut in somewhere else. Face it, nobody cares. Hi, Captain. Sir, I made a copy of my strategy for taking down the Zimtod Alliance on this rectangular yellow piece of plastic. It took a while, but I finally managed to melt a thumb drive onto it. I sweetened the plan a little bit. Since you looked at it earlier, I packed it with a few more contracts to Bain Galactic and to my own military consulting firm. All of the necessary PR for selling the war is also embedded in the software, so we wouldn't even need to do any subspace interviews or anything. They're all part of the package. We can just sit back and get ready to watch the usual stock footage of precision munitions doing their thing and count money and stuff. <laughs> Mr. Pearl, are you sure that it was me that agreed to this? I don't think that I've even seen you since I beamed back from Cracker Fry. Well, it was you, sir. Although you were spicing up your conversation with colorful asides of a kind usually attributed to inhabitants of the rural south in the United States back on Earth. Come to think of it, you were also eating some kind of southern specialty dish. That's right. It was cheesy grits. They look pretty disgusting, sir. Hey, Pearl's story seems to jibe with the doctors. Willard, what exactly are you playing at? Are you practicing pandering to the south as a prerequisite to running for president again? You took one of those glowing Cletus drugs again, didn't you? Didn't you? 
Certainly not, Mr. Ned. I would never rely on a banned artificial southern enhancement drug. Scout's honor. I tell you, then it wasn't me who approved Mr. Pearl's auspicious war plans or, or ate the doctor's grits. There must be an imposter on board. I mean, an imposter. That's the only answer. Now who the hell would ever want to impersonate you? Besides Tim Palenti, that is. Gee, Captain, I had got my hopes up about starting that war. You just had to push the fatty into the Canopian stigma, didn't you? Didn't you? Humiliating me, and doing it all the while you were talking like a real southern he-man, like Rhett Butler. And while slurping down some greasy southern goo. Hey, wait a minute. The captain had some of that fried goo on his face. Yeah, I remember. It was on the left side. There really must be an imposter on board. And he can be recognized by crud on his face. We need to make a ship-wide announcement to have the entire crew on the lookout for the imposter. Okay, you've convinced me. At least it's a way out of this scene. Captain Romney, Mr. Sulu is calling up from the planet's surface. He appears to be dying down there. But before you take the call, I'd like to share a little piece of wisdom that I've stored in my memory banks. And don't worry, there are legitimate memories of Richard Milhouse Nixon, gleaned from the vast archives of the Nixon Library in whatever town that place is located in. Once I, too, was faced with the ugly reality of being impersonated. The imposter in this case was a real lowlife type, a crook and a no-good dick. While I was off doing my good works, you know, helping orphans and sick pickaninnies, he rampaged around the White House, hatching plots and conspiracies. He was even misusing the nation's military might, making us appear to lose a war. The son of a bitch swore a blue streak, too. When I found out about that guy, I started trying to record him, you know, in order to collect evidence. In the end, the only way I could get rid of him was to make those tapes public. This meant that I, too, would be forced out of office. But the important thing is that he would also be gone. So in that way, I saved the nation, but only at the cost of my own career and stellar reputation. Nixon, now let's hear the one about Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I tell you, I did all I could to help her, too, and to get those dorks off of her. I even had Walt on the payroll. You know, that was a compelling and indeed a cautionary tale, Mr. Nixon. <laughs> Thanks. Now, please put me on the intercom. <laughs> Hi, crew. This is your captain speaking. <laughs> I hope that everyone is well and enjoying this sector of interstellar space. If you look out your portside scanners, you will see a very pretty red star. Red is my favorite color, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but there are just so many colors, aren't there? It's nearly impossible to choose which one is best. Well, I get to the point for crying out loud. Oh, yes. True, there's an imposter on board. From what I understand, he's been doing a fair to middling impersonation of yours truly. Just think of it, folks. He might be able to do a whole lot of other impressions, too. You know, like Frank Gorshin. No stranger to these sets. So remember, crew, this imposter is tremendously tall and handsome, but has some apparently irrepressible southern mannerisms and tastes. Perhaps you may see him with a banjo or yelling out commands to a team of field slaves. He may evoke in you a strong desire to vote for him, and to otherwise support his candidacy. The imposter might be, <laughs> identified by some crud on his face. Let me repeat that. The imposter might be identified by some crud on his face. Let me repeat that. The imposter 
My Southern food willer, don't forget to tell them to arm themselves with Southern dishes. Oh yes, of course, of course. The imposter should not be harmed. He should be lured in with some Southern comfort food. Every man should be sure to arm themselves with some gumbo or some chicken fricassee. Okay, Willard, wrap it up now. I do declare, I am Colonel Romney. I mean to say, I am Captain Romney. That handsome joker on the bridge is a weak, no good lion, good for nothing, foul man. I am Captain Romney. I am Captain Romney. Wait a minute. I just washed some of the incriminating crud off my face. I can apply this here damn piece of white linen. I think I almost got it all. I'll endeavor to take more care when I'm partaking of the traditional repast of our great and prideful people. Shh! Truman Giles, I declare, come over here and sit with me a spell. Let us pass the time together as a gentleman of the manor might with his trusted groom boy. And so how is your papa? Uh, fine, sir. He's still dead in the graveyard. Now give me that plate of succotash! Captain's log. Start date March 25th, 2266. Hey, I think I finally have gotten the hang of this thing. No, you're still doing it wrong, Willard. Anyway, Captain's log subliminal. We are in orbit around the planet Krakafry 9. A tragic world, subject to runaway global warming, which would seem to have been caused by the burning of fossil fuels by the humanoids that populate that world. <laughs> you know, I don't know why I couldn't have seen that before. On board the ship, we have recently become aware of an intruder that has been masquerading as Captain of the Free Enterprise, which is pretty much my role. Though just lately, I'm beginning to wonder if I'm really cut out to pretend to handle such a big and important job. You do know that we can all hear you, right, Willard? And besides, you're forgetting all about the men you have on the planet's surface. Mr. Sulu and Stephanie G. Oh, yes, oh, yes. We need to get them aboard ASAP. They won't be able to survive the daytime high temperatures down there, will they? I don't freaking know. Why don't you ask Sulu? Nixon's had him on hold for the last 25 minutes. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Please put him on the speaker, Mr. Nixon. Aye, sir. Lieutenant Sulu. <laughs> How are you holding up down there? Now is Mr. Stephanie G. Hopefully his saxophone hasn't melted. You're thinking of Kenny G, sir. Oh, yes, of course. Da -da 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 -da. Oh, no, wait, that's Chuck Manjo. I'm sorry. Oh, yes. And is he there as well? It's 135 degrees. We're roasting down here. I've been carrying Stephanie around on my back. And I continue to look for drilling equipment. Haven't found it. Need to be beamed back to the ship. Stephanie lost most of his blood, losing consciousness. Captain, we can't beam them aboard without risking getting two more hound dogs in the bargain. 
We just have no place to put one hound dog, let alone two, sir. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mr. Sulu. We'll do what we can to correct the problem. Captain, what about shuttlecraft? I'll see what we can do. Take care. Mr. Welsh, we can dedicate a shuttlecraft to a gay officer, can't we? We can change the name of the U.S. Enola Gay to the U.S. Sulu is Gay. You know, even though he was gay, he was a good, dependable officer, and one that was willing to follow orders. <laughs> that is, even when they were pointless, he'd follow them right to their disastrous conclusions. Indeed, he was a great gay man. He's not dead yet, Willard. I can't believe what I'm hearing. This is still the flagship of the Confederation, isn't it? How could we possibly name one of our shuttles for an uncloseted deviant? Our society doesn't allow them to marry each other or teach school or lead space scouts or do anything, do we? Their lack of rights is even written into the Confederation Charter. I think there must be something wrong with the captain's pandering bone or whatever. He just hasn't been right. Hey, ever since he returned from Planet Cracker Fry 9. Ned, you don't suppose that... This Captain Romney is the imposter, and the other one with a crud on his face is the real McCoy, do you? Pearl, I live by a simple code. It goes pretty much that anything you think or say is definitely wrong. No horse or man, for that matter, could stray far from the right path. They simply do the opposite of whatever you advise. Willard, crewman Childs just reported that the imposter attacked him but first called him by name and took his plate of succotash. Did he have that crud on his face? We've got to find him, Willard. He's no ordinary imposter. He's trained. Maybe possibly even an android. I don't know. I have to think deeply about this one. Whatever is Mr. Ned doing... He looks like he's asleep or in a daze. I can answer this one. In my spare time, I've apparently read up on this and a lot of other stuff relating to Pelomino lore and horse mysticism. He's gone into a deep Pelomino mind trance. The technique is to immerse oneself in a mind paddock surrounded by imagined split rail fences. Each rail represents a real fact which is connected to the problem that needs to be solved. Ned will contemplate each rail and try to make an answer bridge out of them. When he's finished, then he can mentally trot over that bridge. Then the problem will be solved. By the time he comes out of the trance, he's likely to have a working theory about what's happening around here. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. I often wondered what Ned was working on when he wasn't talking. Frankly, that's not something I ever needed to consider with any of our other horses. Well, look at that. He's waking up already. What are y'all looking to be for? I just dozed off for a minute. Well, anyhow, I've got myself a working theory, and we need to put it to the test. I think that the imposter is hiding. Willard, tell me, where would you go to evade a mass search? That's easy. I'd go to France. It works to avoid becoming cannon fodder, too. Funny thing, you know, some of their revolting revolutionary French ideas don't seem all that revolting to me anymore. I may even want to try some of the garçons non-aerosol cheese after all. Pearl, what's the Frenchest part of the ship? I don't know. Gee, that's a hard one. How about the kitchen? 
I made myself some freedom toast in there this morning. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, okay. I also ate three sticks of butter, okay? Of course, the kitchen. That'd fit my theory about the origin of this imposter. And if he really is camped out in the kitchen, then catching him should be Colt's play. You mean child's play, right? Get moving, Pearl. Do you really need me to go down there? I mean, there are all kinds of pointed utensils and stuff up there. And, and things like laser garlic presses. I could just imagine what desperate men would do with one of those. Think of it this way. Would you rather have him use it on you or me? Very well, then. But sometimes I wish our service wasn't so dependent on threats of bodily harm. It's gotta be in here somewhere. Pearl, go check around Doc Bigoto's vats of Piccalilli. Willard, you take the pawpaw pantry. I'll canter through the Cajun spice loft. Shoot one to the air if you see something. What are we supposed to shoot with? I didn't bring a phaser or anything. You what? I didn't know we were supposed to. Well, of course. I don't have one. Willard, I won't even ask if you're armed. <laughs> you know, just lately I haven't even felt the need to pick up my varmint gun. I'm not even sure why I had my man purchase it in the first place. I might have him trade it in for another yachting cap. Oh, just yell, he's over here if you see him. Jesus. Imposter man. Imposter man. Where are you? Please don't try to jump out and try to surprise me. I'd rather not have to change these space pants again. Imposter man. <laughs> Gosh, there sure is a lot of rhubarb stacked in that cooler. I guess that it would spoil otherwise. Rhubarb is like a form of genetically engineered celery, isn't it? That's what happens when Monsanto goes south. <laughs> now what's with that one? Wow, that piece is just so unlike celery. It looks more like a... like a person's leg. Hey, it is a leg. It's my leg. <laughs> I don't remember my leg coming off. Wait a minute... I still have both my legs. There's only one explanation. There must be a mirror hidden in amongst the rhubarb stalks. I'll just move some of these stalks aside and... Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, what do you know? It's a very fat three-dimensional reflection of me. I do declare... You, sir, have made a great mistake in discovering my place of concealment. Wow, I don't remember my reflection getting surly before. Maybe it's just one of my son's reflections. Craig? <laughs> now you come out of there and you tell your pa what this is all about. Craig, put down that plate of space fritters this instant and come out of there. <laughs> I'm completely serious. The question is, just who is the imposter here, sir? Why, I and just about everybody will not fail to realize that it is you. <laughs> hey, you've gotten greasy crud on my face. I can think of one young Mormon man that won't be allowed to attend the masturbation intervention camp this weekend. What the? Captain. And, and fatter, Captain. Oh my God, there are two of you. But which one is the real Captain? There's just no way to tell, since they both have crud on their faces. 
One of them is as big as a house, numbskull. I think that we can safely say that he's the imposter. I guess I shouldn't be surprised that you can't see Blubber. That explains your own condition, all right. Well, that shows pretty poor planning, then, by whoever hired the imposter. He must have been in a hurry or something. Or they used our show's casting director. So anyway, Ned, which one do we shoot in the back? Let's let the captain decide. I do declare, Mr. Ned, sir, you are one ungrateful, stubborn, and useless animal. I continue. You are stupid and lazy and unworthy of being the featured steed in our prize stables. Wow, Ned, he knows all about you. I do declare, Ned, you just look at the crud on his face and see how he's trying to wipe it off. Why, that fraudulent doppelganger is hoodwinked you into thinking that he's Captain Romney. Well, I most certainly can see the difference between us, and I'm not afraid to shoot him down like a mad salivating dog. What? You're gonna shoot him with a stock of rhubarb? I declare, I... Oh my God, Ned. You knocked him out cold with a palomino head kick. Well, I'll be. He's like a fat southern version of yours truly. What an interesting concept. Careful with him, men. Someday he may be a useful surrogate for campaigning in the south. Pearl, carry him to sick bay. Me carry him? You're the beast of burden. Can't we just hoist him up onto your back? Give it a try, Pearl, and you'll be in traction in the bed right beside him. You know, I never knew that horses could be so volatile before I met this one. I guess that explains why they were replaced when the motor car came along. And yes, of course, I know they were briefly resorted to again during the time of darkness and light, known as the Endarkenment Period. Democracy and pluralistic society collapsed. Science lost and God won. But then before you knew it, we were all pretending to glide around in hover wagons. And that led directly to us pretending to be in outer space. Okay, okay. Put the lardo on my back. Anything if it would speed up this process. I see, I see. He's dying, Captain. Or in a way, you could say that he's a dying captain. I see it's amazing, the things that a comma can do in a sentence. It can rearrange the fate of men. And that's why God himself provided us with the English language that is capable of articulating the narrowest path on a conversant journey, while all at the same time confounding those enemies that insist on sticking out on altogether different tongues. You might try some first aid on him, doctor. I think that there are a few medical kits around this place, probably being used to prop up a liquor still or something. Using devilish medical know-how is not going to change what the Lord himself ordains. This man has passed the ethereal wheat fields and is headed for the bodacious and bejeweled gates of his eternity. Ned, isn't it high time that you tell us your theory about the origins of the imposture? I mean, initially he looked just like the captain, but then sort of morphed into a fat southern sheriff, kind of a Bull Connor type. You know, we may just want to keep him on hand, in case we ever need to subdue a planet of freedom riders. It has to do with the transporter room, and when Captain Willard first beamed up with that case of Bibles. Apparently, Crackerite, which is a heat-resistant, unstable element that the Bibles were packed in, caused the transporter scanner to incorrectly calculate the mass of the objects being beamed. Since there wasn't an actual second person to lock onto, the transporter circuits duplicated Willard's readings, and in effect, 
multiply them by two, borrowing surplus molecules from whatever was handy, and using them to complete the pattern. But then why is one of them southern? Apparently it was a southerner that originally packed a case of Bibles. And when they did it, they left some of their DNA in the box. Probably a tooth or some kind of slobber. That's all it would take. You might say he's the spitting image of the captain. Oh! <laughs> you know, I could really go in for some parasailing today. What are the conditions off the Cape today? Evidently, it also sucked off the veneer of southern values that the captain had imposed on his own persona back during the election. This is fascinating. We have here a unique opportunity to examine what a conservative politician would be like when you take away all of his put-on southern sensibilities. He becomes indecisive, soft, and quasi-liberal even. Ironically, he loses the ability to win office even in a northern state. Alliances with oil corporations, pharmaceutical companies, gun manufacturers, the financial industry, they all begin to elude him. I say, all your horse yakking makes me think that we're saving the wrong captain here. It's just a shame that there's nothing to be done for the big Colonel Captain Romney fella. Yes, the imposter does have some interesting qualities. He was as keen as Cajun mustard regarding my war plans. I think I could have done very well with him in the big chair. No offense, real captain. I'm sure that there'll still be something in it for me with you giving the orders, though not as much. Don't worry, I still intend on remaining a loyal member of your crew. At least until something better turns up. <laughs> Thanks, Mr. Pearl. I knew that I could count on you. Captain Romney, Mr. Zulu is calling from the planet. Should I patch you in? Ah, how thoughtful. Yes, Mr. Nixon. Pipe it down here. Hopefully this is going to be good news. Mr. Sulu, how's everything? Sulu here. Not good. Captain. Temperature now. 154 degrees. Found drilling equipment. Most is melted. Is transporter repaired? <laughs> no, I think that I would have heard if it was. From what I understand, Mr. Welsh was supposed to get around to working on it sometime this afternoon, just after his coffee break. After he finishes fixing the door in my closet, it, it has a really annoying little squeak. I thought I had a Sloborian weevil rat in there for ages, but it was just a stupid door. What about shuttle craft? Good news on that front. I've decided to name one of the shuttles in your honor. If you survive this ordeal, maybe someday you can drive around in a shuttle craft called the Sulu's Gay. Gay lasts much longer. Tell Mr. Pearl. I hate him. I say, look at here, Captain. Turns out that this here doppelganger of yours isn't quite dead. He says that he wants to have a confidential word with you before he meets his maker. Being so that he is a man of property and a gentleman, I think that you should honor the request from he who is so soon to be departed. 
Do you need to go to a special school or something to talk that way? Okay, let's go back to the bridge. Well, the captain and the fat captain share some last recipe ideas. Jesus, this stupid show is so freaking long. I do declare. Come on over closer so I can whisper something to you. I fear that my life strength is ebbing away. Sure. Part of being the captain is to provide some manly comfort to the men who were horribly maimed, all in the course of following my orders. <laughs> Fortunately, there will be no embarrassing touching during this procedure. All I usually need to do is pull a look of concern, which Anne once told me is kind of like my I-hate-to-lose face, crossed with my oops-I-wish-I-hadn't-said-that face. During our last battle with the Obomulans, I really had gotten it down. Come closer. Come closer. I honestly think that I'm about as close to you as I can get without automatically triggering a call to one of the Mormon masturbation intervention teams. Hey, that was my favorite karate move. Ouch! do declare, thou hit him out of the way. I can finally take my rightful place as captain is not hip. My task will be to utterly destroy the North Star. Then I will proceed to lay waste to the entire northern quadrant of this galaxy. But first I will partake of some succotash, some pimento cheese, some buttermilk biscuits, some country ham with red-eyed gravy, some turnip greens, Fried with diced onions and laid upon a slab of fat back. I haven't even started on contemplating the barbecue delicacies yet. I will now undertake the designing of such a list, a list like you wouldn't believe. Where the hell is the captain anyway? I know that he's having problems making decisions and all, but he must know that he has to at least make an appearance on the bridge once in a while. Mr. Ned, the turbo lift to the bridge keeps breaking down. Apparently the captain's been trying to get up here for the last half hour. Must be sabotage. A similar thing happened to me once during my historic visit to China. Kissinger blocked up the aisle of Air Force One with a pickled arrow. He wanted to delay me getting off the plane, also that he could be seen as the first one on the tarmac and become the person accredited with the most important diplomatic breakthrough of the century, maybe of all time. If he managed, it would have been his picture plastered all over the history books and in the news magazines of the day. Fortunately, I had the foresight to arrange for one of my Cuban exile stewards to escort him off the wrong side of the plane. There, I understand, he met the welcoming embrace of five surly Chinese sanitation workers. They'd just been forced to clean up 3,000 gallons of sewage that had just somehow mistakenly been jettisoned from our plane. They were more than happy to present Henry to Chairman Mao, but first he was obligated to meet face-to-face with Mr. Don. I don't understand it. Those lifts were all working perfectly. What could have happened to them? Well, the only thing I'm surprised at is the fact that you could still be surprised by something not working on board this space bucket. Just have the captain beamed up to the bridge. We've got to wrap this episode up soon. 
for us will be bleeding onto the Andy Williams show's time slot. And from what I understand, that's one guy that you don't want to get blood on. He always wears those light-colored suits. We're doing it, Mr. Ned. We're beaming him up now. Wait, I don't understand it. Oh, Jesus. The mass reading is off the scale. He must be trying to bring a herd of Angus cattle with him. Oh, no. You don't suppose he's, he's going to be covered in hound dogs, do you? I do declare you. What are you made on Saturday? Haven't you ever seen a body materialize in front of you before? Oh my god, Mr. Ned. The captain's as fat as a Blomethian blubber bear. What could have happened to him? Do you think that he may have caught some futuristic space disease? The good thing about those is that even though they are always fatal... They can also be reliably counteracted by some experimental serum that's developed by the end of the episode. And it's even guaranteed that the person will be transformed as if by magic to his pre-diseased state. There's never any scar tissue or anything, which is great because I hate scars. Mr. Pearl, I do declare, you have an overactive tongue in your mouth, sir. I will have it out. If you do not quiet yourself at once... Now I require the services of my confederate warhorse. I'm never going to battle without being at the stern of my ship while straddling an animal a noble breed. I will mount you, sir, and then the enemy will be engaged. I say, that sounds disturbingly homoerotic. I don't think that such words are allowed on God's bridge. No man may be allowed to mount a beast. That is to say, unless he's within the confines of his own barnyard. He certainly cannot ever become engaged to one. I recall now that the good book says, To beware of an obese leader that may assume thy father's tongue and fool thyself into errands of a devilish character. Mount me, you've got to be kidding. It's a miracle that you haven't broken through the floor yet by yourself. If you get on top of me, not only will I become a horse-shaped pancake, but the whole crew pulling on one rope couldn't haul you back onto your feet again. I declare, I will eat you men despite yourselves, and despite this hour of doubt. Now come here, noble steel. Oh my god, again! The fat captain just broke through the soundstage floor. He's come down hard onto the set of Mission Impossible. I think he just killed Martin Landau and Barbara Bain. Unfortunately, that won't be good enough. As long as they still have Peter Graves, they're likely to continue to produce boring episodes of that show. Welsh, get some jumbo-sized anti-grabs on him and put him back up here with a rope. He'll be your balloon for a while, just until we figure out what to do with him. I, sir, I'm on it. I always wanted to do a cameo on Mission Impossible. Yeah, when you work on this show, your life goals tend to be pretty low. Greetings, all. Wow, what a whopping great hole in the floor. Was that an industrial accident? You know, it seems to me that we may want to revisit the idea of instituting some kind of regime of inspections. Perhaps we might even draft a few regulations. Nothing too onerous, of course. Just common sense stuff. I say it's heresy, communist on its face. 
Somebody get the fat captain back up here fast. I don't care if he sometimes feels the need to mount beasts while in our presence. Here he comes, gentlemen. Make way. Oh, well, that's just grotesque. Quick, get Billy Moomy on the line. He needs to send it to the cornfield, or perhaps to the junk planet. Gee, Mr. Welsh, I must say that I'm flattered. Had you planned to enter this Romney balloon into the Macy's Galactic Space Parade? It can travel right behind the Space Governor Christie Blimp. That's not a balloon, Willard. That's your bloated southern doppelganger. He was trying to take over the ship. <laughs> Mr. Pearl, can I borrow your handkerchief? I seem to have some crud on my face. I do declare that imposter cannot give an order on this ship. This is my ship. I'm the colonel of this air free enterprise. I mean to say that I am the captain of this air free enterprise. See how that Yankee is trying to fool you. He even spreads some harmony on his face. I do declare it looks so delicious. More delicious than any dream of flavor I've ever known. Pearl, well scrambled before he wipes those morsels off his face and deprive me of my God-given right. Mr. Pearl, you better lend me your shirt, too. <laughs> there sure is a lot of stuff on me. Mr. Ned, what do we do? Whose orders do we follow? It goes against my better judgment and my survival instinct. But let's let Captain Willer decide. And I mean the one that isn't the size of a whale. I declare, I am Captain Ramney. I will be obligated to horsewhip you, boy. Thanks, Ned. Actually, I wouldn't mind following Big Fat Colonel Mee's commands, even though I don't totally agree with him on many of the issues of the day. But hey, I'd be willing to keep my beliefs under my hat, all in the interest of getting on with the lucrative business of our confederation. I do declare, you have interrupted me for the last time. I will have satisfaction. I challenge you to a duel. Captain, or I mean captains, Mr. Sulu is calling us from the planet's surface. Do either of you want to take this? Sure, Mr. Nixon. Put him on the speaker. Sulu, here. Now, 225 degrees in the shade. Can't hold out much longer. Stephanie is smoking. Must be up. I declare enlisted men are not allowed to smoke unless they have the written consent of their commanders. I will have satisfaction. We must beam down to the planet's service at once. Commence this duel of honor. Are you kidding? Not only will the transporter duplicate both of you, but you'll also be fricasseed like so many copian ham balls. That sounds delicious. Mm. We must leave at once before the indigenous hound dogs sniff out those balls. <laughs> well, I guess that's settled then. Mr. Welsh, beam me and superfat me down to the planet's surface. Am I to assume that you want me to do it from the bridge again, sir? What? Did they take the transporter room set apart today without telling us? 
Why exactly aren't we using it anymore? Oh, never mind. Just beam them down from here, Welsh. What do I care? Captain, is the transporter working again? Why did you beam down? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I think I was going to shoot myself. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, oh, well, do you have all of your gear together, Mr. Sulu? Um, everything has been pretty much burned away or melted, sir, including Mr. Stephanie G. It's over 250 degrees now. I'm only alive because I apparently still had the script to shield me. <laughs> Thank goodness for scripts, Lieutenant. Mr. Welsh? Hi, Captain. Two to beam up. But, sir, the transporter room is not working right. We haven't got all the hound dogs out of it yet. Beam us up anyhow, Welsh. I'm reveling in my restored decisiveness. Everything's back as it should be. I'm in command and feeling good about myself. The fat southern me has been returned to my political subconscious. <laughs> or to whatever part of me he originated from. I see, I see. It's hard for a body to believe that our captain harbors inside him a 850-pound southern plutocrat. I mean, what a hidden talent he has. Now that doppelganger had some real fine ideas, tastes, and sensibilities. Doesn't surprise me that you liked him, Coburn. A gluttonous, racist, obese farce of a man. What's not to like? So how exactly did the captains become reunited, anyhow, Ned? I thought that if he used the transporter, we would have ended up with another gross of captains and maybe even a few hound dogs. Well, it all has to do with Hodgkin's law of predictable plot developments. By the end of the show, all problems, including technical ones, must be resolved. Oh, yeah, that again. By delaying the captain's beam out until the last few minutes of the show, the transporter relays were predisposed to put everything back to the start position. It's like someone hit a big reset button. No one should be too surprised. It happens every week. So what you're saying is that it doesn't really matter what we do or say in any episode. By the end, we'll all be back in our assigned bridge chairs, talking amongst ourselves in a light-hearted way, and perhaps gleaning some moral out of the experience that we all just pretended to have. That's about the size of it. Pretty pathetic, really. Yes, the imposter is back where he belongs. Just ready to be drawn on when I need to appeal to a certain class of Dixieites. Mr. Sulu, take us out of orbit and on to our next assignment. Sulu is still in the sick bay, receiving skin grafts withered. Oh, wait a minute. Coburn's assigned the treatment then that means he's probably just covered with leeches. <laughs> Very good, then. Mr. Nixon, take us out. Aye, aye, sir. On we go.
splinters already. How beautiful! How beautiful! That's so beautiful. I cannot stand it. No, it's too beautiful. I cannot stand it anymore. Uh, thank you, Jerry Lee. Lou. Ha. Ass. That'd be the day. That'd be the day. No. I'm sorry. <laughs> Copyright. God, no. God, no. Are we recording now? Yes. So, are we back from our long extended Yes, from our vacation? long extended were you, staycation. Where you, you were learning. You did all that learning only to give somebody named Joe Percy <laughs> the prize. <laughs> I heard about the Joe Percy thing. Joe Percy. You know what's even funnier? Well, you should Not explain only the guy to the who... folks why okay. Joe Percy first. Joe Percy, because I went to my... Convocation, my graduate convocation, and I earned my earned my master's degree in linguistics. And very was, important, more yes, important than you. A very important day in the life of a fool. <laughs> of Joe anyway. Percy. Very important <laughs> of someone named Joe Percy. <laughs> whoever, whoever the heck. Now, mind you, there are about a hundred graduates. Right? It was a list of maybe a hundred people, tops, probably less than that. Um. And in advance of the ceremony, they had us not only send our name with a phonetic transcription of what our name would be <laughs> as pronounced, but also an audio recording of ourselves reading our own name. You're kidding. That seems... No. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> but I sent that to them weeks ago so that they'd know how to pronounce it. Uh, presumably, uh, unless they want to just keep it on record. But somewhere. your name is hardly Well, that's the thing. There's a lot of international students in yeah. the program, so you know. Some matter of fact, have... you shared you shared a, a lab with Honors Wagonroll. Honors Wagonroll. Yes. Well, and, and... His, his name is perpetually pronounced by Tom Walker. <laughs> yes, and I was kind of like almost last in line, so I was like listening to. The associate dean reading off all the names, all these complicated Asian names yes. and right. and you know names from all over the place, and and I think wow he's doing that really well, and then he got to mine and I thought, well maybe he wasn't doing it all that well. I don't really know how they're pronounced. <laughs> yeah, no. but, I saw Randy made a video of it and he put it up on YouTube, so I got to see the <laughs> yes. Joe Percy, <laughs> Joe Percy. It's like what? The? Then me walking across gonna. Yes, you're making the face. And at the end, I was like, close enough. Close enough. <laughs> Idiot. Idiot. 
He's a professor of linguistics. <laughs> Was it the professor of linguistics? He is a professor of linguistics. Pronounced your name. Yes. Were those all linguistic students? And it was printed in front of me. It was on a card. Yeah. Printed. I printed it in block letters, all <laughs> uppercase. I mean, I don't know how much more clear I could possibly be. And change your name to Joel Fernanow. Joel Fernanow. <laughs> and he would have done it right. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to say where you're from. They're not going to say that part. I am from... Well, Joseph was very proud. Congratulations to you and... To the whole Percy family must be very proud. <laughs> I'm sure somewhere the Percys are extremely proud. Like Charles Percy, I'm sure is very proud wherever he is. <laughs> Alfred Percy. Alfred and Charles. Most proud of me. <laughs> they probably maybe even went out hunting just to celebrate the fact that you had your... What was it called? A convocation? It's called convocation. Wow. Never even heard of one. It's a separate recognition ceremony that's sounds religious. Yes. Yeah. Well, it was done in Sentner Auditorium in in the building where the Mark used ages. to take his oh. piano lessons oh, okay. from George Mulfinger back. Yeah, in the I remember. I've been there then. Yeah, because I remember going to his lessons once. Yeah, and there was that auditorium in that, yeah. in that big. It's sort of a gothic-looking building. Yeah. Well, it was like <laughs> the big castle of a place. <laughs> it was, like in 1970 or 69 or... <laughs> that was the last time I was there. So. Yeah. A few I was, weeks ago. I was a couple of years younger than... I was there and I kept... You know, while I was going to school there, I kept looking at that building thinking, I've been in that building. Yeah. But I didn't put it together until I was there for a couple of years. And I was like, well, holy shit. That's where Mark used to go. Wow. Back in the day. 50 years before we were born. Mark, the brother who knew how to play an instrument. Yeah, damn him. Damn him. But where did it get him, Joe? <laughs> where did it get him? <laughs> I'll tell you where. We're the ones with all the fame. We have a podcast. He may have had talent, but we have a podcast. That was a musical interlude, folks. We thought you deserved one after we did all that fancy talking. Well, they will have heard. They will have heard. What's the next degree you intend on collecting, Joe? I ain't get no more degrees. Volcanism? I've sat in my last classroom unfinished. I'm baked. Uh, you're baked, okay. Totally baked. So now are you like... I only got this one because it was free. <laughs> I know. Because <laughs> I'm a incredible cheapskate. <laughs> I got accepted into this program like 20 years ago. Yeah. And I couldn't go because I couldn't afford to. Yeah. And then I went to school for a college that actually had a tuition exchange program. So I was like, hey, yeah, I can okay. go for free. Yeah, I can go for free. That's a good yeah, price. I can go for free. That's a good price. Yeah, because otherwise you'd have to pay thousands. I'd pay thousands. To be, in, to be in a field who you could probably never make them. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never earned that in a century. <laughs> thousands of dollars. So, Matthew, what have you been up to? Uh, many things, Joe. I've been very busy. The Falcons. That's the Falcons. We have the Peregrine Falcons website up now. 
What's the location of the Peregrine Falcon website? It's called UticaPeregrineFalcons.com UticaPeregrineFalcons.com Yes, and there you call. We have a webcam on Nest. And we're currently waiting for the eggs to hatch. Hmm. They should hatch any time now. Watch, we'll wait. Are they due? Yeah. Wow. Just. We're kind of in the middle of the hatch window, actually. So good. The Orin hatch window? The Orin hatch window. Well, I set the window, judging by when incubation started, uh, between this, um, the 14th and the 18th. So we're, uh, we're really close. Every day, the probability of a hatch increases, and soon we will have baby peregrines. Peregrines! That's exciting. Yes, it's very exciting, Joe, and nerve-wracking, too. But the website's been up for a little while, and uh, it's proving to be fairly popular, considering that um, I haven't been able to get the word out very easily because many media outlets have not been (laughs) taking my... uh, press releases so or doing anything with them. they a, might be waiting for a hatch in order to publicize i'll put a link up on our on our website big-green.net that should drive your hits oh that, that'll up. drive it way <laughs> up Joe. way way up through the ceiling good god indeed it will indeed it will uh, i mean it hasn't been doing bad just out of where i have been able to publicize it and i did a radio appearance kind of the odd. other day, and one, my partner in crime also did a radio interview this week. So, it's for kind those of who still listen to the radio, it's kind of odd that um, that the newspaper didn't carry that for some reason. Well, they they don't carry it because it was mostly re- well. It was a fairly long press release. I tend to be kind of long-winded in those things. And they, what they usually do when they do cover it is kind of rewrite the whole thing and then, you know, make it from them. Oh, you mean like journalism? Yeah. <laughs> like completely paraphrase. Although some don't. Some, like, print, print it pretty much verbatim. It's like the Rome paper does. I don't think they carry this one. But That's what they're supposed they usually, to do. They usually just print my whole press release exactly as I <laughs> on the Oneida, the Oneida um, paper. At least their online presence, they they printed it exactly. That's just sad. They didn't even change a single comma, Joe. They didn't change a comma, Joe. Well, they said it was for me though, so it was like my contribution to their paper, unsolicited. Oh. Well, they didn't say that, but I said that. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, well, what I'm, you know, I kind of wish that they did get the word out because a lot of classrooms like to have this kind of thing uh, up. Somebody took a picture of uh, their class watching it on their smart board. And so... So uh, that's the kind of thing that people are missing now since the newspaper hasn't picked it up. But nobody reads the newspaper anyway, so what's the difference? <laughs> what's the difference? I certainly, certainly do. Certainly the younger generation doesn't. I think yours is the last generation that's going to have newspapers now. Yes, I know. This is 
I we'll watched, all be gone I soon. watched the newspaper delivery man on our street, and he like goes to two houses on our entire street. Yeah, two houses. No, make that three houses. Three. He goes to three. Yeah, it's kind of a death spiral because the less people who read it, the worse the papers get. Yeah. And they started God, out. Can you imagine the paper bad. getting any worse? Yeah. Most It'll of them be smoking really bad. I look at the headlines when I bring it in, but you know it's it's Debbie who reads it. I don't read it. I don't have time to read it. I don't have time. Never have. Yeah, I glance at it. I don't really read it from. Never day. had time to read the paper. I'm too yeah. busy writing incomprehensible things. I can't read incomprehensible mm-hmm. things as well. <laughs> yeah, I keep ordering it. I don't know why. It's content generation. Yeah? Somebody has to pay all those salaries. Otherwise, so, I've heard it's spring. Yes, many migrants are coming through at the sanctuary. We've had many, many migrants. Many migrants? I have geese on, on eggs currently, too. Lots of nests. Of several pairs of ducks. Very exciting. Exciting time. Exciting time. Let's breathe. That's good. Been doing a lot of planting, planting trees. <laughs> planted hundreds, hundreds already. And there's hundreds more to plant. Fantastic number of trees. Fantastic trees. Incredible trees. Growing, growing, being watered. Right now, as we speak, they're being watered. Watered. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, it is a, an incredible time of rejuvenation, Spring. Time of rejuvenation, rebirth, and rejoice. We have had a good influx of birds, I must say. It's been very interesting. It's been hard to leave the woods, actually, because of it. it. We've had all these neotropical songbirds festooning the trees. Huh. Interesting. Uh, An unusual number? Well, that's how it's supposed to be, but it hasn't been that way in a few years. And so to get a good influx is like, wow. So this is what it used to be like. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, several different causes for that. For one thing, our uh, leaves are emerging about at the right time. We've had a number of years in which the timing has been all off because it's been warm way too early and in the season. And the birds don't alter their migration time usually. Most species don't just because it gets warm early. And so what they miss are the emerging uh, flowers and leaves, which is also timed to uh, match the emergence of insects that feed on those things. Right. And so when the birds come back, they're supposed to be feeding on those insects. And when the timing is off, then if they came through and, wow, the insect, you know, all the gazillions of insects that are supposed to be there aren't there. And so they just keep going or they, you know, they go someplace else. Right. But this year it's just right on time. So it's been a global phenomenon though. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yes. yes. It's part of uh, climate change that doesn't exist. Yeah. There's a, yeah, right. It's another thing, but you know, it doesn't exist for most people because they don't think of that. You know, that doesn't impact their daily lives. Naomi Klein just did an article about it in the nation. Oh really? Yeah. Well, they, they had out of sync. Yes. Of, 
Yeah, oh, okay, because yeah, a lot of people don't. She was writing about, about that, among other things, but she did a long section on that. And just the fact that it's just a timing. Yeah, you, you, what, exactly what you described is what she was describing. What it, what it does, it doesn't necessarily you know kill everything right away. It's just it decreases the the breeding right. success of species after species. Right, and it's it's incredibly complicated world nature is. It's fairly resilient, but I mean we're we're just stressing it to, to its breaking point in every direction. In terms of birds, it's we're stressing them on their wintering ground because it's everything has to be you know uh, in Central and South America. It's de- right. deforestation for purposes of plantations or or for some kind of you know natural resource development and. Uh, on their migration route, I mean, we put all kinds of impediments in their way. A lot of these birds are nocturnal migrants, and they crash into cell phone towers, and they crash into, well, they've been crashing into buildings for many years, but also uh, wind turbines when they're in the migration routes. And then on the breeding grounds, we also have screwed around with everything majorly by having... Their habitats fragmented to pieces. Which does them no good. And all kinds of invasive species. And that never stops. I mean, we have introduced so many. It's it's not just like invasive plants like purple loosestrife, maybe you heard of, that takes over wetlands. But it's, it's invasive blights, too. You know, we've introduced fungus species that shouldn't be here and uh, it's it's very complicated but yes it's upset the delicate balance joe yes it has and this is riveting podcast that we're coming it's up riveting with podcast material i don't know what you're talking about yes yes this is uh well this is uh what's new in your world you know what's new in our world it's our world, your world. It's our world. This is our world. Our, our world. world. When's that going to be, Lee? <laughs> Joe is quoting from, what is that called? Planet, Planet of, the, of dinosaurs? the Dinosaurs, I think? Yeah. yeah. It's some kind of 70s masterpiece. Yes, <laughs> with uh, evident porn stars in it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what they seemed like, wasn't it? Well, not stars. <laughs> <laughs> Let me restate that. Porn extras. <laughs> The Mr. Leslie of, <laughs> of the porn world. Porn rejects. Porn red shirts. <laughs> yeah. That could have been anybody's butt. <laughs> that could have been anybody's butt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's... Those guys. Yeah. That was a terrible that was a great cheap movie. movie. Very cheap movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'll be great. We'll have the fires. It'll and just, be, <laughs> just be like camping out. <laughs> what, 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 what was that? What makes that kind of a sound? I didn't mean the sound was familiar. I mean the call. Yeah, it was like, yeah. That was a hunting call. I didn't mean the animal was familiar. I meant the sound. It was a hunting call. And whatever it is, it sounds very, very Hungry. 
<laughs> yeah, that that was the that was the movie that we learned about wolves years ago on Earth. Wolves used to wipe out whole villages until we went out and hunted them. Wolves learned. <laughs> we can't go risking lives trying to tame dinosaurs. <laughs> we'll stay here. We're safe. Safe. We're prisoners. And that's a direct, that's a direct quote. I know. <laughs> When's that gonna be, Lee? I ask myself that all the time. It's like, okay, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do that. And I always think, When's that gonna be, Lee? <laughs> and I realize, porn redshirt guy was right. <laughs> <laughs> Those guys were the we worst. We did it! Oh no! <laughs> the worst actors who ever lived. Oh god, they were terrible. <laughs> Planet of the Dinosaurs. Look it up. Yeah, do watch that. If you watch anything that we ever have suggested, please watch that. Yes, that's that's quite good. Fungus. Quite good. <laughs> Sorry. I fungus. It, I panicked. <laughs> Invasive fungus. Do you always say fungus when you panic? <laughs> yes. I always do. I know I do. I do. I do. I do. I do. I do. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Are you, is, uh, this planet is made of <laughs> okay. layer uh, upon layer of rocks so solid. He's uh, a burning sun. He's quoting Mr. Narum from Lost in Space. Yeah, he's basically, he stands in for everyone who's like a climate denialist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or, or like a, a fracking company spokesperson. Yeah. Yeah, he lies until until the planet's wrecked, and then yeah. he he flies Your off. Friends are right about this. <laughs> <laughs> flies off in a big right. hurry. Yeah. yeah, that's the way the planet crumbles. See, <laughs> you're a mass murderer, <laughs> but he got his cash out. That's good. He got his cosmonium. Yes. He got his cash crop. Well, he was fracking for Cosmonium. Yes, he literally was. was. I know, he was. He was like splitting rocks apart and getting Cosmonium out of it. Yeah, it was It was the most telling yeah. futuristic future story. That's right. Lost in Space was prophetic. It was. It was it told the story. <laughs> you thought it was pathetic? It was actually <laughs> prophetic. Although when they spilled the fracking fluid, <laughs> it like turned... It turned a... Uh, Dr. Smith's <laughs> statue into a, a walking zombie. Yeah. Going... <laughs> the same sound that every monster made uh, lost in space. Yeah. It's that same strangulated... It sounds like some guy gone. Yes. yes. But... Yeah. I'm sure it was. But it sounded kind of like... They, like they modulated yes, it in yeah. some way. They kind of like knocked they, off. They had a tape deck. Yeah, they got That's a great sound. I know they they, they used, used it, it all the time. time. It was used... every month. Yes, yes. That's how we know it so well. So many monsters. They should uh, use that for a Halliburton training film. They should. A Cosmonium episode. Yes. Yes. This is, well, it w- would be a good way for them to teach, you know, 
Climate denialism. Yeah, like public relations, basically. It would be like a, a media training for them. Yeah, you got to be more like Mr. Narum. <laughs> this planet is made of rocks. So s- layer upon layer of rocks. So solid. So thick. You could you lay a burning sun on the surface. And the sun, the sun just, just burns burn itself out. Leave the planet. Untouched. That's right. Strother Martin. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. What we have here. <laughs> well, it's his other fam- famous role. <laughs> that was Cool Hand Luke, was that? Yes, yeah, so that was yeah. Cool Hand Luke. Yeah, he was. He was in. He was a very nasty man. He was in a lot of television shows. He was in the Big Valley. Yeah. <laughs> Josh, I gave you enough time to get yeah, out. Yeah, he was always playing somebody who's kind of twisted. Yeah, he was usually somebody's sidekick. Some I'm twisted good. hick. Wasn't he? <laughs> he was in the one with uh, <laughs> uh, Brother Love there. Oh. I think he was in that one. He was yeah. in that one, too? Yeah, him and Gavin McLeod were, were like the sidekicks of... of uh, <laughs> Robert Goulet. Robert Goulet. I couldn't remember his name in the last podcast we did. Yeah, that's a song. Danger that said you can help him with his burden and the sorrows he has. Life is worth living, so whatever you do, let a little bit of brotherly love shine through. Brotherly love, brotherly love in a dark and dreary world, there's just not enough of. Brotherly love. Neighborly love, there's an awful lot of good can come from brotherly love. To a stranger that's sad, you can help him with his burden and the troubles he had. Life is worth living, so whatever you do, let a little bit of brotherly love shine through. Brotherly love, brotherly love In a dark and dreary world There's just not enough of Brotherly love, neighborly love There's an awful lot of good can come from Brotherly love There's an awful lot of good can come from (laughs) Wow, that's pretty good Probably no one would remember that song from the Big Valley no one. He's got a good voice. <laughs> He's got a good voice. <laughs> Thank you, Linda Evans. Thank you, Audra. <laughs> yes. That was Robert Goulet. Yes, Robert Goulet's famous role <laughs> with his two sidekicks, including Kevin McLeod and Strother Martin. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I forgot that Strother Martin was in there. Yeah. Yeah, he was... They were going to beat up Heath. <laughs> oh, my God, that's right. It's <laughs> like, what an all-star cast. Yes, those guys and Lee Majors. And, <laughs> yeah, he, he was, and Strother Martin was like James Whitmore's sidekick in the other episode, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Josh! Yeah, yeah. They used the same guys over and over and over. They used, um, uh, I'm trying to remember, uh, Bruce Dern about 12 times. And yeah. It's like he, Bruce Dern, he was a bounty hunter. and He was, he was uh, Royal Dano a lot, too. Yes, Royal Dano. Yes, he got a lot of work. 
Yeah. And then Judd. <laughs> Remember that? Oh. They used him all the time. <laughs> yeah, that, that one. There was, a, there was a few bad guys that they big always, actor, they yeah. really, literally always used when they needed a gang. Oh, yeah. They'd have those there was the guy that looked like... Um, squirrely guys. Daryl Issa. <laughs> yeah, they did. And there was a guy who looked like Mike <laughs> Pence. Because <laughs> whenever I saw those guys, I always saw those guys in Congress together, I was thinking, they have bad guys from the freaking Big Valley. Mike Pence was like the station manager guy. And <laughs> and Daryl Issa could have been like one of those, you know, cowboys that were like, hey, you know the one I'm talking about. I can't even think of what the, the actor's name was. Yeah, I, know, I, I know, never knew. He doesn't have a name. He was just, just like that generic bad guy that they'd hired. Where's generic bad guy? <laughs> kind of sleazy, twisted. Get Daryl Issa. <laughs> and then that guy, <laughs> that guy that looked a little bit like our carpenter's son. <laughs> it's like that guy. They used him a lot, too. He kind of talked like this. <laughs> he had his face all kind of squished up. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and then there was the guy who was in in the heat of the night. The guy who was the. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Guy, yeah! That, yes, I know what you mean exactly. I didn't mean to kill him. <laughs> I ain't serving him. That yeah, guy. yeah, right. Yeah. He basically played the same. Yeah, well, what else can he do? Ever? I'm ready. Yeah, I'm ready. Yes, he was great. Yeah, he, that's right. He was Royal Dano's son in that. Yes. Oh, do I have to, Paul? <laughs> I know. I'd appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't throw away the bathwater after you're done. <laughs> yeah, boy, we told, your brother. we told that joke completely <laughs> backwards. <laughs> I know. First law of joke telling. Be sure to set up your joke. Royal Dano like played neighbors in two different episodes of the Big Valley on both sides. <laughs> it's like what is Royal Dano lives on both sides of the Yeah, Berkeley. there's the religious Royal Dano and then there's the rowdy Royal Dano. <laughs> the, uh, Martin doesn't know the meaning of the word lose. Is that Martin? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. And then the other one was That like, was the one with Lord Lou Rawls. And, that was the episode yes. with Lou Rawls in it. Blood works in strange mysteries. <laughs> yeah, because like the the river changed its course, so yeah. he he was he claims he was claiming the orchard that was on the other side of the river because before, because because in the deed it, right. it used the river yeah as used the, the river as the boundary and and the Lord changed the course of the river. <laughs> That's not mine. And then Royal Dana was in that other episode too with the. The, the solid golden nutcracker. <laughs> they would yeah. like kill strangers that came to stay in their bed and breakfast. <laughs> He'd yeah. kill them and take their money. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Damn. That's me getting an email. How exciting. Don't. Uh, so are we going to play any music this week? Uh, I don't know. We didn't talk about it. Besides... Yeah, we already planned that. No, I already did that. Yeah, that was unexpected. Unexpected pleasure. I think we used to play that years ago. That's probably why we fell into it. Yes. Well, we have some... Uh, we could play... Insert name here. We haven't heard insert name here in a long time. Is there an insert name here? That we yes, we play? have a copy of insert name here. Well, I don't know. What could we play, really? Well, we have all kinds of recordings. (laughs) (laughs) 
We talked about playing Andromeda last time. So I suppose we could play that. We could play Andromeda. It's a rare bit of uh, big green history. It's a rare bit of big green history. And maybe play several other things just like that. And several butcher's aprons. Okay, well, here's here's Andromeda from Big Green, approximately 1991. I don't know. I don't know. Somewhere in there. <laughs> that sounds a long time ago. Back in the day. Like, like 40 years ago. This is another one of those four-track cassette recordings that... Sounds a little squirrely. But sounds a little squirrely. So what? But not... So we'll add some reverb to it. We'll add generation <laughs> reverb to it. That'll <laughs> sound better. I just bungee cord... Recorded my yes, legs you together, so, Joe. You got like Jimmy legs. <laughs> Who's Jimmy, and why do you think I have his legs? <laughs> Jimmy legs. It's a condition. It's rest, restless leg syndrome. There's some tape here. I like tape. Okay. Did we play this? <laughs> Not yet, because you won't shut up. Here we go.
I always liked that song. It sounds worse than I remembered it. That's because Ow, you suck. Chuck, this hurts. <laughs> Will you stop doing that to yourself? Well, I'm trying to get the bungee cord off my legs now. I can't. It's like Matt's putting a tourniquet on himself. <sighs> I couldn't breathe. <laughs> Don't put a tourniquet on your neck. First rule of first aid. <laughs> no tourniquets around the neck. For head wounds. Please, I'm playing with the bungee cord, so I don't play with the headphone cord. Oh, you don't want to play with the only head set of headphones <laughs> that we have left that's worth a dime? <laughs> so what else should we talk about, Joe? Um, Or should we just play another song? We do have an hour-long episode of the Ned Trump Oh, yeah, show. well, what the hell? Well, we can talk about that. What the hell was that like? We're going to talk about the one we just did? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who am I talking to all, all of a sudden? Elvis? Let's see. It was It was called, oh yeah, it was called <laughs> Captain Fricassee. Captain Fricassee. That's the one where, uh, well, I guess you folks already just heard it, so why would we be telling them about that? Well, there may be things that they don't understand. Okay. We, <laughs> it's true that fat Captain Romney, <laughs> we, we could, fat Colonel Captain Romney... <laughs> We couldn't really understand what he was saying when he got fat. So maybe we can talk about that. That's true. Yes. Uh, we, you may need, this may need subtitles. <laughs> maybe the first audio podcast with <laughs> subtitles ever. <laughs> certainly the first one that needs subtitles. It was a pretty stupid episode. Yeah, it was. Well, you know, it was the, um, it was based on the doppelganger. It was based on a true story. You know, the sort of. Doppelganger Kirk episode. Yeah, we thought it might be fun to have uh, when Romney gets split in two that one one of the halves would have been Southern. Yeah, it's it, apropos of every conservative <laughs> candidate that ever actually, and a lot of just presidential candidates of any any stripe, they have like a Southerner buried in them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and also you know it's kind of it's 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 apropos. Of uh, uh, 60s television shows yes. in which you'd have to bring on some rural person, yes. some hillbilly, uh, some southern cousin. Yeah, like, well, yeah, because Dr. Cousin. Smith had a southern cousin. Yeah, Jeremiah. Jeremiah Smith. <laughs> so. Who, so we thought that, you know. <laughs> it was a little over the top. <laughs> <laughs> Just slightly over the top. Yeah, <laughs> you can Zachary and I cousins. Yes, that's an incredible performance. <laughs> cousins. Yeah, we and he proceeded to nod like, <laughs> like I don't know. I think I've used all the bungee cords now, Joe. I know, man. You've tied yourself in knots. It's really oh, yeah. fantastic. You I, folks, should, I should take a picture of this and post it yeah. to go along with the podcast. You could just take a picture of my legs. Oh, where's Where's your phone? Oh, that's fair. I'll take a picture. Take a picture. Then we can add it to the podcast so people can see what a fool you are. <laughs> Very well. I'll do the incriminating evidence. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like I'm in traction or something. In traction. Okay, now what am I doing with this picture? <laughs> it kind of makes... It looks like a face. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm sending it to you. Eyes without a face. Okay, to J. Parry. <laughs> J. That says right. no results. Great. What's your stupid email? J O E. At. Oh, yeah, I found it. Subject stupid. Big dash green dot net. Stupid. So, any other music? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, I'll just throw something in here, right? Five, four, three, two, one. Okay. 
<laughs> that was fantastic. <laughs> that was a good song. I I forgotten about how good that song was. I forgotten about insert name here. Song was song was good, Joe. Song was good. Okay, so life. we don't have any new songs again because we're recording songs for the next episode of the Ned Show, still to be recorded. Yes, and still to be written. We're deep in recording. <laughs> it's an interesting phenomenon to like write the songs and write the songs usually before we <laughs> write the episode. <laughs> I know it's uh, well. Some of them weren't r- written yet. I guess they're not quite finished. Well, that allows you to write the script around. Them. It's it's going slowly. It's going quite slowly. <laughs> I had to work on those things. I can't just please you people, no. Goodness me. So, Joe, are you going to write some episodes for us now? I now hope that so. you're free? I hope so. Well, wh- what? Yes. Oh, yeah, you that's my to. plan. Yeah, I will. Okay, good. Because well, we have to figure out which ones. I've <laughs> too many now. I'm starting to use the same jokes again. <laughs> this time, I need a break, and you have to write some. Yes, but your scenarios are always so elegant. I'm just copying Star Trek, Joe. Yes, but you're making them applicable to the to the uh, broader context of the show. <laughs> that doesn't make any damn sense, and you know it. It makes perfect sense. Um, okay, so, my legs are starting to hurt now. Okay, well, we'll wrap this up then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> before you wrap yourself up. Okay, I took off all any, the bungee cords now. Any political commentary that you want to make? Um, anything that's particularly irking you? Oh, yeah, always, but I can't think of anything right now. Marco Rubio. What has he done now? Climate climate (laughs) change denial just (laughs) to sort of endure himself to the Republican base. Any particular facet of it is he denying or just its existence? And then he backed off of that a little bit, but not much. Good, good. Let him uh, let him put out the fires. <laughs> let him wear the medicine bag. <laughs> <laughs> that was the episode before, Joe. I know. Give him the chairman of the exchequer bag. <laughs> Give him the chairman of the exchequer. <laughs> well, I don't know how to play checkers. It's <laughs> <laughs> just as well. <laughs> That's so we can re- remember our own jokes. That's, that was that was the previous episode of the Ned Truck Show. So what do we have to look forward to in the in the coming episode? Episode to come in the future. I don't know. I think uh, what may be happening. I'm not sure about this. Is that the free enterprise may come upon a space probe of incredible power. Oh, yes. Yes, a space probe of incredible power. You'll notice, too, that this particular space probe bears a striking resemblance to one of the plastic doohickeys in the engine room. (laughs) By pure coincidence. (laughs) That's a cheap show, okay? (laughs) Can't afford it. Buy all new props for each episode. That's right. So what do you want? Wouldn't be appropriate. So one episode... Wouldn't be appropriate. One episode, it's like holding dilithium crystals in the engine room. And the next episode, it's uh, floating around in space. 
And then it's a, it's a beautiful samovar. Foreign vessel of incredible power. <laughs> <laughs> then later on, it's a personal assistant <laughs> to yet another. Well, um, part of it was. No, Mad. I mean. <laughs> well, you're I mean, giving it away now, Joe. Oh, I do Fool. Oh, no. It's erase that part. Okay. Okay. I think we're finished here. This episode is completely terrible as usual. It was terrible and it was brought to you by Matt. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. This is Joe's house. Joe's stupid stuff and it's broken. Just because it takes Joe like an hour to get everything set up. I want you to know we only have two hours to work. (laughs) Wasn't an hour. (laughs) It was like two hours. And I'm patching together pieces of mismatched gear. Some kind of clock thing going on there. It says it's like 12 hours. 1,276 hours, Matt. Uh, oh. It's nautical time. We need an engineer in this place. An engineer. Okay, then. Well, You'll need an engineer. We need an engineer. See what you could do. We need an engineer. We need an engineer. We need an engineer. It's time for us. It's time for us to go. Time. 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 It's to go. It's hard to imagine the song getting worse. It's time for us to go. It's time for us to go. It's time for us. It's time for us. It's time for us to go. Time for us to go. Time for us to go. That's all we got. Yaron. Big Green May episode brought to you by Yaron. By whom? Yaron. Okay, it wasn't the Koch brothers again. Where are the Koch brothers when we need them? They're very busy, Joe. Spending gazillions. Well, Big Green, you can learn more about Big Green at big-green.net. Please follow me at Big Green Joe. But not too closely. Yes. Unless you like cheese. Indeed. <laughs>